Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 93, and, well, I find myself standing in the middle of Chicago in a cemetery. And the question is, do I feel safe? We're also going to talk about a review of the A-Tech DC to DC MPPT Charger. We'll have a tale from the road about Lunar Lake. We're going to visit a magical place. And I'm going to introduce you to another YouTube video that you absolutely have to watch if you're going to do any kind of 12-volt work on your van. So in light of recent news, which has been fairly awful, at least in regards to what you see on the news about van life, uh, the question has been asked many times, and I've answered it before, but I think it's time to address it a little bit more. Is van life safe? I mean, are we safe doing this? I mean, right now I'm in my van and I'm parked in a public park, which happens to be a beach in Chicago. I feel pretty safe. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you're not from Chicago, you think Chicago is the land of bang, bang, dodging bullets every time you go to the grocery store, etc., etc., etc. And while our crime rate is horrible, our gun violence is terrible, our murder rate is just unacceptable, and these things have been going up recently, Chicago's not even in the top 25 most dangerous places in the United States. It's true. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Memphis, Tennessee, New Orleans, East St. Louis, these places are actually a lot more dangerous. But what does that mean for us in vans? There's an expression in the UK called safe as houses and uh, Depeche Mode famously used that in a lyric long ago. And there's this inherent sense we get that when we get home, we close the door behind us, whether it be an apartment or a house, and we think, oh, I'm safe now. I'm safe in my house. And yet at the same time, we know that break-ins happen, bad things happen in houses, and in the case of the recent unpleasantness, and my heart goes out to all the families involved, domestic violence is a really big issue, and it doesn't matter if it takes place in the context of a van or in a home. It turns out, as I've said many times, that the word life in the hashtag van life follows you. So you have many of the same problems in van life that you'd have in regular life. And that includes domestic problems, some of which end tragically. I will pause here to say that if you are somebody who is in need of domestic violence help, feel free to contact me any way you would like, jeff at builttogo.com, that's two T's, not three, not one, or any other way, and I will provide resources for you. You can just couch it in the terms of a friendly conversation about vans. But I'll read between the lines, and I'll make sure that we can find a way for you to get what you need. That said, what we've been seeing on the news lately really doesn't have anything to do with vans. So when someone asks, is van life safe? All I can answer is no, because life isn't safe. And van life is life. It's not as though, oh, I'm going to do van life now, so I'm just going to leave life and I'm going to go enter Wonder Wonderland. No, you're going to bring these problems with you unless you do something about them. So here I am in my van in Chicago. I should be scared, right? Well, no, I'm not. I mean, no, my, my condo is 20 minutes away. This is where I live. To me, this is home. I don't think of Chicago as scary. 
And now that I've been in the van for so many nights, I don't feel like the van is scary either. I've seen a lot of people ask the question, how long does it take before you feel safe in your van? And well, the answer seems to be about three weeks. Now, I've said many times, I'm a part-timer. I am not living full-time in my van. I do have a wife and a condo and a place to go and a place to park my van, etc. So my experiences do not speak for everyone's at all. But I know that it takes me three nights to feel comfortable sleeping in the van and that by the time I'm in the van for a week, it's just home. And I feel safe at home, even if that home isn't a house. There's a few non-obvious things about living in a van that actually make them more safe. One of them is, you can move it. <laughs> if someone is targeting you when you're in your house, they know where you are. <laughs> they know where you live. They know where you live. But if you're in a van, you can move. If you are in a situation that feels uncomfortable, turn that key and go. Go to another state, go to another parking lot, go wherever you need to go to feel safe. That's a huge thing for van life. And I know there's a lot of single women who are considering van life, but they're terrified of it. Yeah, bad things can happen. I'm not gonna lie to you. You have to be careful. There are people out there that would like to hurt you. It's true for men too, although not to the same degree by any means. But that's true of regular life. It's true on public transportation. It's true when you go to work. It's a sad fact that we live with dangers. And van life doesn't increase those. There's a feeling that it might, right? Because you're in a strange place and what could happen? You don't know. We have internalized over the millions of years of our evolution that strange is bad, strange is dangerous. And that carries forth when you are parking on the side of the road in a state you've never been to before. But you are a little bit safer in those situations because again, you can drive away. You're also in a steel box. I mean, if you are very concerned about this, you can secure the inside of your van more than just the locks will do. These doors here, these sliding doors, you can put a locking hasp on those so they can't be opened from the outside. The same thing with the back doors. And some people will even go so far as to chain the front doors together. You just basically find a way to attach a chain to each door, hook the chain up, and then they can't be opened. Yes, somebody can still break the glass, but that is very extreme and is not likely to happen. And at that point, you're in a fight. Now, I'm not going to talk about self-defense here. I've talked about it in other videos, and you'll find lots of people talking about that. In my experience, I only know, of all the van stories I've followed, I only know of one person who ever used their self-defense in the van, and they used it to attack somebody who was outside the van. I just don't think van life is all that scary. I don't. I'm in a very privileged position to be saying that and I'm aware of that, but I would hate for someone to not try van life because they saw on the news that somebody was injured or killed while they were traveling in their van. There is one aspect of van life that does increase the danger for everybody involved. Driving. Driving is by far, by far, the most dangerous thing you're going to do in your van. Unless you're into some dangerous <laughs> recreational activities. But a thing that everybody in van life, whether they're driving an SUV or a schoolie or whatever, does, is drives. 
And that is by far the most dangerous thing you can do. And yet we don't feel unsafe driving. We're just not really good at detecting whether we're safe or not. So drive careful, listen to your gut to some extent, but when your gut is telling you that this is too scary to do, it's probably wrong. It really isn't that dangerous out there. And you should take precautions and you should do what you need to do to feel safe. And I'm not saying your fear isn't real or isn't warranted. I'm saying that factually, statistically, van life is not the danger it might feel like it is. Tech talk. Okay, this is kind of more like red tape talk, but it's important information that you should know. I'm here in uh, Montrose Harbor, it's kind of a blustery day, and that's how it is when you're trying to finance a van or you're trying to sell a van. Let me explain. My NV200, when I put it on the market, got a lot of attention. It's a unique van. It had pretty good response on YouTube. People liked it. And I got three offers for the van, and I finally took the third offer. Why? Was it that the first two were too low? No. All three offers were for my asking price. Price wasn't the problem. It was that the first two offers needed financing. And that's a problem. You see, banks finance based on the value of a vehicle. And when you have an old van that you have built out yourself, a DIY van, well, the banks have no idea of its value. They can look at Kelly Blue Book and whatever to figure out the value of the van itself, but your build? They don't have any way to determine what that's worth. And in many cases, they won't finance older vans at all. So this created a problem where I had people willing to buy my van, but they wanted to get an auto loan to do it, and they simply couldn't because no bank would finance it. Does this mean that you simply can't finance a camper van that someone has built out themselves? Well, no. It means that you can't use an auto loan to do that. You can use a personal loan, you can use a home equity loan, there are other kinds of loans you can use, but auto loans, nope. It's because we live in this gray area with these vans where society doesn't really know what they're worth. Now, I paid, I think it was $87.50 for my van. And that was in the range of the Kelly Blue Book at the time. And I put countless hours in untold amounts of money and repairs and such, and also 45,000 miles on the van. So two years later, three years later, how much is that van worth? Well, I can tell you that I sold it for significantly more than I paid for it, because that's the market value of the van. That's what somebody was willing to pay for it. But the banks don't care about that. They don't, they just don't have a reason to care about that. They've got plenty of people getting vehicle loans and it's not worth the work for them to try to figure out the exact value of a specific bespoke one-off van. So, two lessons here. If you're trying to buy a van, know ahead of time that it's going to be very difficult to get an auto loan unless it is an empty van that you're buying and then you've got the commercial van problem, which is totally separate or you're buying one professionally built out. Those you can get RV loans for. And if you're selling a van, know that just because you think your van's worth $20,000 and people are willing to pay $20,000 for your van, which is not what I sold mine for, they may not be able to unless they have a source of financing. 
In the end, I sold my van to a wonderful woman. I'm very excited about her journeys, but it was because she had cash. She could just get me a certified check and that's how we handled it and everything was fine. So I felt really bad for the other two people because they had fallen in love with the van and were ready to buy it. But I just want everyone to be aware of this situation. Whether you're buying or selling, no auto loans for you. Tales from the road. So someone recently asked on social media, where was your favorite place to spend the night in your van? Or basically, what was your most memorable night? Well, a number come to mind. Most of them involve the times I'm able to travel with my wife, but uh, not that. Let's talk about something a little different. There is one night that stands out out of all the nights I've spent all over the country that was really special, and that was the night I spent at Lunar Lake. Lunar Lake is near Lunar Crater off of US 6 in Nevada. And it's a dry lake bed, which sure not that uncommon in Nevada. I mean, you've got the Bonneville Salt Flats. Those are the most famous. This is a smaller one, but it's actually a much nicer one because while it's a salt flat, you don't get salt all over your van. It's, it's very dry and very hard and very flat. And I was driving through that area, which is, as they say, the middle of nowhere. And I thought, well, I got to stay somewhere. Why don't I just drive out into the lake? And I did. Now, I didn't actually do a lot of research as to whether this was BLM land or what. I knew it wasn't privately owned, and I figured, well, I'm going to be so far away from civilization that the chances of somebody driving up and say, you can't park here, is going to be pretty remote, especially for one night. And so I drove out there, and it was the only being that I could tell from, I, there was nothing else alive anywhere. I mean, there were some scrubby brushes along the edges, but no bugs, no birds, no mammals, no people. Uh, occasionally, I would see lights in the sky that might have been airplanes. All I, all right, they were airplanes, but I also saw satellites and shooting stars and pieces of old rockets because it was dark. The Milky Way actually lit up the sand, so there was no need for a flashlight. You could see perfectly well at night. And then the moon came up, and it was actually bright out. Uh, it, was, it was stunning. But I think my favorite part was, other than having a completely quiet night in the van, without any noise at all that I didn't create myself, was the morning. When I woke up in the morning, which was actually around 4.30, because I was so excited, I saw this amazing sunrise come up over the lake, and I was all alone out there, and I took my drone out for its first test flight. I have a video of that. It's, it's not good. You don't need to watch it. It was literally just for me to see what would happen if I put up a video about a drone. But yeah, really a special thing and something that I could only have done in a van. You can't really get there without a vehicle. It's too far away from anything. And I really couldn't have set up a tent or anything out there. So this was kind of one of those unique van life things. Now, I'm not recommending you go out there and camp there. This, you can, but I think that if a lot of people did it, it would get to be a problem. And I have had parking areas that I put on iOverlander get taken down because too many people went there. But man, what an amazing night. And I did have a, a strange thing happen. It was the morning, it was about 6 a.m. This lake is surrounded by mountains on three sides. 
and I was out there just kind of enjoying it, and I heard voices. I don't know where they were coming from, but I distinctly heard people talking, a man and a woman, and I would even say they were middle-aged, but I could see everywhere. So the only way I could hear that is if they were somewhere up in the mountains, too far away for me to see, and yet somehow the sound had made it down to the lake. I can believe that that happened, and I actually sent the drone up to kind of hunt them down. I was skirting around the edges like, where are these people? I thought maybe they would, somebody had set up a campsite like kind of over the hills, but I never found any evidence of them, and I only heard the voices once. Is it possible there were no voices, and I just thought I heard them? Absolutely. I am completely susceptible to audio pareidolia, as it's called. I can hear voices coming out of fans all the time, but I know that that's just my pattern-seeking brain trying to make something out of nothing, trying to find patterns and random noise. But it was still a little freaky, and, uh, well, yeah, I didn't change anything I was going to do, but I was kind of looking over my shoulder a little bit. Mostly out of curiosity, but a little bit out of what the heck's going on. Anyway, I'd love to hear about your special moments you've had in your van. Uh, you can put something in the comments. I will totally read them. I love reading stuff like that. And look for those moments. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. Think about those things and take little risks, and you'll find yourself having better and better moments in your van. a place to visit. I'm in one of the best neighborhoods in Chicago, in my opinion. Oops. In my opinion, it's called Andersonville. And it's north of the city, home to some famous venues and dining areas. But I'm standing here in front of a very nondescript building. In fact, it really doesn't have any signs on it at all. It's just kind of this blank glass. And then if you look above me, you will see that there is a sign if you're watching the video and not listening to the podcast, you'll see there's a sign that looks vaguely like a washing machine. Well, that's because what's inside this door is a laundromat. And you might say, Jeff, why are you sending me to Chicago to go to a laundromat, even if it's in a nice neighborhood? And the answer is that this laundromat, it's a little special. This laundromat, well, I can't show you inside right now, but let's just say if you come to this address at 5050 North Clark Street in Chicago and go into this laundromat, something magic will happen. Because inside the secret rooms behind the laundromat is Chicago's best magic venue. In fact, I would argue it's one of the world's best magic venue. And you might get a hint of that from the graffiti and signs pasted by the door. Maybe... Maybe, and yeah, there might even be a, a little indication and a neon sign up there. Just a little word to the insiders here. But yes, this is this is the home of the Chicago Magic Lounge, which is a place that's trying to revitalize Chicago's magic scene. Chicago used to be a really important place for magic, and they invented their own kind of magic called, well, Chicago Magic, or Chicago-style magic. And it was a bar magic, usually where the magicians would be behind the bar and they'd like give you a beer and give you a trick. And they do that here. They also have stages where they do live shows. They have some fantastic magicians there, some of whom I know personally, and I can highly recommend this place. But invite a friend, tell them to meet you at the laundromat on 5050 North Clark, and then just go inside and wait. And I'm not gonna tell you anything. You have to figure it out. What do you do inside the laundromat? What would you do? 
I can tell you what I did. I pressed lots of buttons. Product review. Let's talk about the ATEC DC to DC MPPT charger. And what does all that mean? Well, it means this thing. This little box right here actually does all my charging. The way it works is this. I've got the solar panels on the roof and I have the big alternator. And this thing takes power from the alternator and power from solar and then charges my big 200 amp hour battery in the back. And it will basically choose whichever is better and use that. Now it's a 40 amp charger. So that means it'll take 40 amps out of the alternator and throw all that into the lithium battery in the back. Now, if you look at the lights, you will see that there are charging profiles. You can choose AGM, lithium, lead acid, or calcium, which isn't something I've actually encountered. And it will charge the right way for that battery. Now, what do you do if you're driving on a sunny day? What does it do? Well, in that case, it will default to the alternator because it's going to get more power out of the alternator. In most cases, it is a 40 amp charger, but and this is a big, but it is limited to 25 volts. That means if you have more than one panel on your roof, you must wire them in parallel because you can't increase the voltage beyond 25 volts and two panels in series would do that. I'm disappointed by this because it's an MPPT controller and generally they can take high voltage. It's one of the main advantages of MPPT controllers. So I'm not exactly sure why it has this 25 volt limit. That said, it's about $200 and it is in most cases cheaper than a standalone DC to DC charger. So for that amount of money, you can have one pretty small box that'll take care of all of your charging needs. Now, why might you not want to do this? Well, having one box that does everything means that if something goes wrong, you lose everything. And that's not ideal. I would not recommend this for people who are going to go boondocking for seven months at a time without any support. You probably want different components for that. Also, there's no reporting. There's a light on there that says it's charging solar, a light that says it's charging alternator, and a light that says it's full. But that's it. There's no percentage gauges, there's no current in out gauges, and if you want any of that information, you're gonna to have to add your own, which is what I did. I put in a very inexpensive ammeter so I can detect current coming in and out, but I still don't know if my battery is full or not because with lithium ion batteries, you can't really tell just by the voltage. All that said, would I recommend this thing? Yes. For certain applications, this thing is actually pretty good. And in my application, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I certainly have space for separate components, but this fits under my seat. I can just ignore it. I can see the lights pretty easily when I need to. And then I can use separate battery monitors, which I've got on order right now, to monitor the health of my battery. So I'll have a link in the show notes. It's by ATEM Power, A-T-E-M. And it could be a solution for you too. Resource recommendation. Uh, there's a gentleman on YouTube who had, uh, still has, I think, an NV200, van like I used to have, and I started following him and enjoyed his build, and he just released a video that just knocks it out of the park. I mean, this is an essential video. I should create an essential videos playlist, and this would be on it. His name is Scott underscore PDX, and his video is about everything you need to know about wires and 12 volts and how to crimp things, and basically the beginner's package for understanding vehicular wiring. 
And I, if I've made this sound like it's going to be some long, drawn-out course or something, no! It's Scott in his shop talking about all the different things. And he shows how to crimp the wires and what kind of wires you use for what thing, what the colors mean, and all that. It's very, very accessible, even if you've never done any wiring before. I highly, highly recommend it. He goes through all the different tools he has, and he has a lot of tools, but he never says anything like, oh, you must have this $900 tool that we use to crimp this one thing. No, he's very practical. He's like, well, you can use this or this, or I have this. You get the widest gamut of possible ways to handle your wiring issues. Please check this video out. And he has an extensive list of affiliate links in there that will help you find the tool you want to buy. And please use those affiliate links. Support this content. I mean, not this content. I mean, please support that too. But also support content like Scott's because it is exactly what the community needs. And a lot of people are going to be helped by it. So I'll have a link to the full video in the show notes. Scott, thank you for making this video. I've been doing 12 volt wiring for over 35 years and I learned things from your video. I think anybody can, and it's been a real service. I'm standing in front of a shack in Chicago on the beach that says Daniel's Mexican food. I don't know if you can see the sign up there, but uh, I don't know the history of this place. It's just this, if you took this one shot, this one image of where I am, and guessed where I was, you would never guess downtown Chicago, but that's actually where I am. Anyway, the question comes up all the time. Do I get lonely while I'm on the road? And the answer is basically no, I never get lonely. Well, that's not true. I find that after a week or so of not having human contact, I'll try to find ways to chat a little longer with clerks, maybe talk to other people in their vans. But in general, at night, when I get in my van, and shut the door, I'm in my happy place. I was just helping out Team Rubicon up in Wisconsin, as I talked about a lot in the last video, and I was with people all day long, and it was hectic, and it was work, and it was fun, and we were all coming together for a common goal, which is great, but at the end of the day, when I trundled off to my van and shut the door, ah, that was wonderful. But that's me. I'm one of these people that when I'm with other people, it costs energy. Or if you want to think in video game terms, it costs mana. I have the little blue dots and they go down all day as I deal with people. And then at night when I'm by myself, they fill back up, add and repeat. But for some people, like James the Amazing Randy, who I used to work for, a retired magician who I've talked about a lot, he was exactly the opposite. He loved being around people. And you could see his little mana bubbles going boop, 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 boop. The more attention he got, the man lived for it, literally. So whether I get lonely or not really isn't the question. The question is whether you'll get lonely or not. And if you do, it's okay. You can do stuff about it. You do not have to be lonely in a van. You can move your van. You can join little communities. You can get on social media. There are many, many ways to interact with people while you're in a van out on the road. And if you're one of those people, you will maybe not do the kind of things that I do. Like that night I spent on Lunar Lake as I talk about in the Tales of the Road segment. You may not want to do that. That might be too lonely for you. For me, it's heaven. So, loneliness, again, is something you will bring with you in your van. The van doesn't create loneliness. It doesn't cure loneliness. 
it just gives you a way to move. And hey, you can use that to overcome your loneliness. Well, I'm about to be killed by this group of geese, so I'd better hang up now. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg and the occasional goose. If there's anything you'd like to see me cover, please get in touch. I'm at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And until next time, remember the words of that other anonymous poet, anonymous, pale ink is better than a good memory. <laughs>